Good evening, data storytellers. Paul from the Data Storytellers here, and I'm with Glenn Hoffman, who's the Chief Analytics Officer with New York Life Insurance Company. Great to have you with us, Glenn. Great to be here. Awesome. To start with, tell us a bit about yourself, You know who you are, what you do on a day-to-day, you know, what makes you passionate about data analytics? A very brief intro. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Glenn Hoffman, I've, um, I've been you know, what we now call a data scientist, I guess, uh, my life. Uh, I uh, I run the uh, Center for Data Science and Artificial Intelligence at, at New York Life, which is a, a you know, corporate centralized uh, data science and AI function at one of the largest life insurance companies in, in the United States. Awesome. And, you know, you've been doing this for a while now. I'm just taking a look at your background. You've been in the in the finance space and especially in analytics for uh, the better part of 15 years now. Uh, why do you, why have you stayed in the industry for so long? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, well, certainly I've been in data science, uh, you know, a long time, but certainly before it was called data science. Uh, and and uh, I mean, I started out as, as a, uh, you know, as a PhD in statistics when, when it was called statistics, not data science. I had a stint as a, uh, as a stats professor um, and, uh, you know, did research and, you know, a lot of consulting and teaching and, and all of that. And then, uh, and then came to the industry after, you know, after five years of academic, came to the industry, uh, worked in a bunch of different companies, mostly in the financial services space and, uh, and probably the last decade or so in the, uh, in the insurance space. Uh, it's been, you know, I, I think it's exciting. Uh, it's always been exciting to be in data science. It seems to be getting more exciting every year. Just the variety of challenges that we get, um, the variety of data that we see uh, is, is just astounding. And, and uh, you know, I get I get new challenges, new types of problems every year, and uh, and and that's that's just you know fabulous. I think those those few professions like data science where you get this amount, if you're on the right position, where you get this kind of variety. Of business challenges and technical challenges to to you know keep us entertained. And and this is the million dollar question in in the industry, right? How do you balance the uh, the technical aptitude with uh, creating real business results and and using that and, and harnessing that technology? How do you see uh, data analytics today in general? So outside of life insurance for now, uh, what do you think about the state of data functions and and the general progress of data driven business transformations in, in the corporate world? I, you know, I think that's very much still a work in progress, you know, probably a bit because it is still a relatively new function, right? If, if you look at, you know, if you look at corporations, you've had, um, you had CFOs, you've had chief marketing officers, you had CIOs for a long time, but chief data officers, chief analytics officers, only the last few years that that has really become prominent, right? I mean, there have been a few of them earlier but but now probably more than half the companies have them. But that's like only the last you know handful of years, if la- if not less. So it's still early in the journey, and the uh, um, the importance of sort of evangelism and and you know changing the business culture to data based decision making, you know rather than intuition based decision, human intuition based decision making, which was you know common for you know many hundreds of years. Uh, you know that's that's a you know that's still very much part of the job of every leader in the science, no matter what level. 
I think it's really interesting because we've seen, especially with the COVID pandemic, that we've we've kind of moved away to this this Zoom and, and Teams based approach where it's really hard to build those relationships. But at the same time, it, there needs to be that that balance between moving away from gut feel decision making to to data driven decisions and database decision making, as I think you mentioned. Um, so super interesting to take a deeper dive into that later. For now, where do you see data science specifically in life insurance? You know, we we talked to, in general. Let's dial it into to to your industry. Yeah, I mean, data science and life insurance is is super exciting because it is, you know, still early and impact that data science can have on that on that industry is just, you know, is huge, right? So, and that goes into many different aspects of of life insurance. I mean, the two biggest one are probably sales and underwriting. Uh, so, on the sales side, you know, analytics is brand new. We've done things like, you know, recruiting models for agents, you know, activity models for agents, which are which are a distribution system, basically. Uh, we've done sort of, you know, various other studies around, you know, different motivations, different experiments in the distribution organization. So that's, you know, and we've made a large impact on that, which, you know, directly impacts sales, which is, you know, quite, quite relevant to the senior leaders at any company. Um, and then on the underwriting side, you know, we're building some sort of the first versions of mortality models for life insurance. We're building the first versions of, you know, data triage models. And, I mean, in life insurance, we get a lot of medical data, you know, on individuals. And some of it is, you know, fa fast to, to get, some of it is slow and expensive to get when touch that data. But we also, you know, the, the business of life insurance we are essentially ensuring mortality risk. So we, you know, we have to, you know, process. And now, you know, the, the, the larger companies are, you know, have just started to build models in the last, you know, five years or so. And so we're building the first versions of mortality models, which are, which are super interesting and, and, you know, and, and have a lot of complicated data behind it. So, so that the business impact that we can make right now in life insurance is, is very large. And it goes across underwriting, marketing, uh, service organization with a lot of customer touch points and service centers, marketing organization, finance organization. Uh, so we have a large variety of, you know, uh, pretty high impact projects. Mm. And we're definitely going to take a, a deeper dive into your role and in, in data science over at New York Life. Before we do that, you mentioned that the, the this role of the CDO. So what do you think that the... The, the heads of functions, the chief data officers, chief analytics officers like yourself, what is their role in transformations today? Uh, well, I think transformation and innovation is the main role, you know, of, of that of that office. Uh, pretty much any project we do is transformative. So there was, you know, there was obviously, I mean, for data scientists working on that, Obviously, they have to be strong technically and they have to build good models and good analytical solutions, you know. So the quality has to be high because, you know, I mean, that's table stakes. So we, we, we do care very much about that. But then beyond that, there is the dimension of being able to explain it to the business function, which implies, you know, in my team, uh, not just myself, but, you know, every level of data scientists or data science leaders has direct business interaction, which is important to me. And which, which 
which is good for them because I think they get the exposure and they can grow as a data scientist, but it also implies that they do have to not just focus on building models or writing code, but also focus on explaining that to business people, which in turn implies them understanding uh, what the business people worry about every day, you know, whether that's whether that's salespeople, marketing people, people, you know, what is their job function? What do they worry about? What are their metrics? And how can we explain it to them in their terms? Uh, and that's really what it takes to 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 make a difference. Mm, and and with these these transformation projects, then what do you think are the greatest opportunities for companies who have that senior leadership buy-in for data? Where where would you suggest that these companies that that uh, well both the companies and leaders go? If they're looking to to get, say, some quick small wins with with data science. Oh well, I mean, so I mean, on a on a more strategic level, you know, I think building a, you know a centralized function where you can have a critical mass of data scientists as well as data engineers and machine learning operations engineers to create some career paths for them, to create career opportunities for them. If those people are spread around in small groups around the company, then it becomes less attractive from a career perspective. So having a you know critical mass team where that can happen, where the, the expertise gets faster, careers get developed, you know, and and also then you know you can centralize the resources to have the infrastructure and you have the influence to, to do that. I think that's key from a from a strategic perspective. Now to answer your question at a tactical level, you know. It's all important to sort of you know demonstrate the value, uh, and we we certainly do that. I mean, you know, marketing is sort of an obvious one, right? So uh, predicting you know customer acquisition, whether that's B two B or B two C, you know, predicting uh, retention, you know, is always a big one. Predicting cost sell, so you know, advertising spend rationalization, you know, those are some 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 good ones. Uh, but then also, you know, every company worries about sales, uh, no matter what they do, right? Uh, so getting into the, the sales organization, which, you know, they won't exactly understand this benefit if it's there, you know, pretty quickly. Uh, so those are some opportunities for, uh, for quick, quick hits. Maybe service operation optimization could be another one. Uh, those are some ideas. So let, let's take a deeper dive into to New York Life. So you you built the data science and AI team there over the past, say, five, six years. And uh, can you talk about how you made the case for data scientists to join your new and growing team and at the same time made the case for using those machine learning models to your business partners? Because you, a lot of what you're talking about, and, and I really like this as well, is the the the, the data being the intersection of the business and of the, the the technical side. So it'd be really useful just to 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 talk about how you make first make the case for new people to join, but then also uh, making the the business case for those ML models. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I think that all goes hand in hand, and you know it is very much analytics and 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 the business. So I I mean I was brought in to 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 stand up a function. But but I don't think when when they hired me they knew exactly what they meant by building it right uh, so I, I kind of had to uh, what what I did in the beginning is I I, I talked to a lot of companies in various various business areas and various functional areas and then I kind of put a strategy together and uh, and said all right you know here's what I want to build in the next few years here's what I need infrastructure in terms of you know human resources different skill sets 
you know, and here are the main areas where this is going to make a, 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 a benefit, right? And then I basically pitched that to the executive management of the company, and a decision was made to, to make, you know, at least a, I'd say a small to medium-sized early investment, right? uh, which got me to maybe, I don't know, 20 people or something like mm. that, right? Uh, which, is, which is not 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 large, but it's a start. And then, and then, you know, it, it sort of got a little more tactical. We started a whole number of projects and, um, and then sort of, you know, started to show value, right? And, and once you start to show real value in some key places in the business, then you say, well, okay, but in order to make this a real thing, you know, we need a little more investment here. We need a little more investment there. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of grew, so we grew, you know, from like a base of maybe 15 to 20 people. The way we grew was, we got the projects, we got the business buy-in that these projects are important, and then we said, okay, now we need to staff it, we need to infrastructure it, and then little by little, well, maybe not so little, but you know, we grew to what's now about you know sixty people in the U.S. making up twenty you know contract people. <laughs> So two really, really great things I want to bring up. Well, many great things, and two I really want to dive a bit deeper into. You mentioned the the pitch, the senior executive level pitch for more resources and more more people in data, for example. What are some of the the skills that you use in these pitches? Would you say, you know, is there like a, a general theme? Are you are you painting a certain picture? I'm just trying to hint about the storytelling here. Uh, full disclosure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was there was a so there's a couple of different angles to the story that I that I will tell. Uh, so one is obviously the sort of the direct business benefit, right? Uh, and you know, a lot of I mean, sometimes that's measurable. Sometimes it's not like precisely measurable in dollars before you actually do the project because you don't have you haven't seen the data you don't exactly know what the numbers are right uh, but you but you can illustrate the business benefit you know, some samples you know and 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 you can you know you can also use parallels from other industries they may be that may be a little further along in those and there might be some industry studies from other industries you can bring in well if achieve this this level of this level of benefit. You know, and, and we, we should be able to get to something close to that, especially if it's like functions that are areas that, that are, you know, similar in different industries like marketing or people analytics, HR or service analytics. Many industries have that. So you can sort of bring some examples for that. So that's one of the, the stories you can tell. Then you can tell a story also about competitive advantage or maybe competitive catch up right? and say, oh, well, you know, in order to, like these are some key areas that are competitive differentiator from for us. If we can, you know, increase our metrics by 10, 20%, you know, for a number of years, that might be a true competitive advantage. We can, you know, we can boost our profit margins, whatever we want to do with it. Or if you're, you know, you know, if you're in your industry a little further behind, you can say, well, this is what a competitive advantage mm. we need to catch up and uh, so so whichever way uh, you can tell that story depending on what company you're at yeah. uh, i think that's another you know that's another one. And the, the third story you can tell is about sort of ai adaption in general you know in the world in the country in our daily lives and you say oh all right you know here is what you expect like say you want to do you know, website up to about say marketing or or text mining or you know image mining or something like that, and say, well, the standard of that, you know, in the in the in the in general society, it fits. You know, it's what you know what Google is doing, it's what Amazon is doing, mm. it's what you know 
what the military is doing. It's, you know, and, and here's where they are and here's where we are. And, you know, this is where the sailing, we want to be on that journey, right? So those are maybe a few different angles of stories that, uh, that one, can, one can pitch. <laughs> yeah, and, and it would be really good to hear some specific examples of the impact that data science has actually made to the business side of things at New York Life. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, we can we can do um, a, a couple of those. I, I mean, I mentioned the um, uh, I mentioned the the, the agent recruiting example for there. So so we, you know, New York Life employs about twelve thousand uh, life insurance agents. You know, they are our main distribution channel, and we um, uh, we 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 tend to recruit about. 4,000 new age agents every year. Um, but those 4,000 new agents that we recruit, they come out of an applicant population of about 70, 75,000, right? Uh, so imagine, you know, you get uh, through various different channels, get 70,000 applicants for you know, something that's essentially the same job. It could be in different geographies and, you know, it could be different people applying, but it's essentially the same job. So. So obviously we cannot, you know, rigorously interview seventy thousand people, right? That would be impossible to do. Um, so we have to, you know, we have to screen, right? We have to screen early, and uh, so you know, we build a model that does uh, that does that is one step, you know, it's one step in the in the recruiting process, but it does some screening and gives, you know, and basically scores people on their potential to be successful as a nerd life agent if they became one, right? Uh, so this has a number of benefits. It saves us you know, a lot of time and money uh, to, you know, in, in, in the process. I think it also is a benefit for the candidates that they don't, you know, that, that, that the ones that do come in are actually qualified and will succeed versus others that may, this may not be the right option for them, right? Uh, so I think it's a benefit for, uh, for the applicant population as well as for the company. And, uh, and it's, you know, and, and it has, has a, a big difference in our and our agent quality. <clears throat> awesome. And uh, specifically on the data literacy side, then, actually, no, but let's talk about talent because I think that that's what you're alluding to there. And I really want to uh, get in this. When you're looking for specific data science leaders, what kind of qualities do you look for? Are you looking for uh, people who are, for example, open minded, humble, uh, assertive, you know, maybe a mix of all of those? Uh, those, all, those all matter, of course. Uh, you know, probably more humble. Uh, so, so I, the, what we look for, you know, probably three or four things. Uh, so, you know, first, obviously, technical strengths. So, scientists, you know, they should have training on how to how to build predictive models. You know, not just algorithms, but also the stats behind it, the coding. Behind it. So, uh, if it's MLOps engineers, they should understand the coding. They, they should understand MLOps platforms. They should have worked with data scientists if they're more senior. Uh, so, uh, so technical strengths is you know is we, we don't compromise on. Uh, like you know even for my direct reports who are leading you know larger data science teams, they have all built models and they all know technical data science. So, somebody who doesn't know who doesn't know anything technically, right? So, so we'll, we'll play diligent on that. Uh, second is probably uh, we call it communication skills, maybe on a 
on a more junior level, I think we would call it stakeholder management skills on a, on a more senior level. So be able to engage business people or technology people, perhaps, or you know, legal people, and, and be able to really explain what is it we do, you know, in, and you know, do it frequently, do it, uh, do it you know, better each time, do it verbally, do it in PowerPoints, do it in emails, uh, you know, and, and be able to, to guide and train and explain things to stakeholders. Um, so that's, you know, uh, that's a, a, a second thing. And then the third thing is, I think, uh, having a focus on or having an attitude for solving business problems rather than playing with toys, as I would say, right? So, uh, so sometimes you get, you, know, you get applicants that say, well, all I want to do is build neural network models. That's not a good candidate for us, right? For uh, us, a good candidate would say, what is the most important business problem you have? I want to solve that with the best tools that I can find, right? Uh, that would be a different attitude, and that's more what you want, right? You want people that want to solve business problems. They should have a large toolbox, by all means, uh, but uh, the, the point is to use the best tool for the problem at hand, not the ones that, that you know, people want to build on. <laughs> <laughs> So with that in mind then, what kind of toolkit are you using at New York Life to help your data scientists solve these business problems? Yeah, I mean, so we have a, a pretty nice environment uh, here. I mean, so, so from, a, from a coding perspective, we've got, you know, a full, the full Python stack, uh, you know, with, you know, I mean, Jupyter and all the, all the different, you know, all the different components of, a, you know, the solid Python stack. We also have all studio and you know the whole all stack. Uh, some people still like you know all for certain things. So so that's that's there. Uh, and then we have uh, two main deployment platforms, which I think is probably the more important thing because they, I think the the you know the frontier a little bit on on data science is it's not so much building good models. Uh, we know how to do that. We've known that for a while. It's deploying models into the business processes, you know, effectively and and you know and you know relatively quickly. So for that, we have uh, we've got two platforms to do that. One is sort of a you know Kubernetes-based, containerized, uh, centralized platform. Uh, we went with you know one of the main vendors on that. Uh, those you know those two or three that are probably dominating the market. But uh, so. So basically, we, we we deploy all of our models directly from all Python into that platform. No code translation, nothing like that. Uh, maybe some code, you know, improvements that we might have to do. But it goes directly from Python into the platform. Uh, gets containerized as a model, and then from that one platform where we put all of our models in, build mm. APIs to any production system in the company. So that could be Salesforce and distribution. It could be our underwriting uh, you know, uh, production platform. It could be like Adobe and marketing. It could be, so an API goes there. So then you know, it goes directly into the business process and you get an API call you deliver scores either in batch or, or, or in real time. Um, so that's our main platform. And then we also have a geospatial so any sort of geospatial uh, models that we build, which we yeah. have a, you know, they get into a geospatial environment and we can roll that out to the entire field 
organization, you know, that platform. So, so all of that assures that, you know, data scientists have a good development environment where they can build stuff, mm. but then also that the development environment sort of seamlessly goes towards a production environment and we can put these models into the hands of, of users and, and, and making transactional decisions, making hundreds, dozens of transactional decisions a day, you know, right away. Because I think, I think you know, data scientists, what they should watch out for is that uh, whatever organization they join, that their work will be used, right? Hmm. Work will be used. <laughs> Super interesting. And just on the back of the talent question, obviously a big part of talent is hiring. A big, a big part is also retention, right? So how do you identify those leaders who uh, they've, they've, they've nailed down the, the they're looking at this from a very business centric perspective and maybe they they're ready to take that next level strategically what kind of skills or or, or qualities do you look for there yeah yeah so i mean in general recruiting you know we we are uh, we are yet again recruiting so we we do have a number of open positions for for both data scientists data science managers uh ml machine learning operations engineers as well as project managers uh so we I mean, the, the recruiting obviously is is you know something we pay a lot of attention to. Uh, we 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 always are, are highly engaged in that, and and we you know we yeah. Uh, I mean, I have a pretty good network. Uh, certainly, we appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast and make that even bigger. Uh, and uh, uh, so we we have we. Have, a number of different programs that we've done. I mean, we certainly do experience folks recruiting. We do recruiting, you know, direct from graduate school programs. We have a number of internships. I think this year we have like, you know, eight interns that are in, in master's and PhD programs. Uh, we also have a program uh, this year where we, where we hire sort of a diverse group of people uh, with, with, you know, promising, promising skills directly from and then train them partially here, and and then you know while they are working for us, they're doing a master's degree on the side. So so we have you know basically recruiting at all levels, you know, and all channels, uh, and uh, you know, but we all you know we are somewhat we're selective. We, you know, we want the things that I talked about uh, that matter. Now now to your question on you know as people move sort of you know. Maybe you know in a more advanced stage in their career uh, to to like a mid level or, or you know advanced leader. I, I think I think then the the stakeholder management things become more important. Obviously, people management becomes more important. So we train people. I mean, we we very much look for individual contributors who have the potential to be managers. We sort of, you know, give them a soft approach towards entering management, maybe there's an intern or one employee, uh, you know, and then we do a lot of a lot of mentoring around, um, around communication skills, around uh, influencing skills. We just did a, a, a multi-session workshop for my whole team on influencing skills, uh, you know, which is, which I think very important. Uh, and we do mentorship around, uh, you know what I would call this for for the people that are moving up from being a manager to being a leader. We do some mentoring around you know what I would call business development. So basically, talking to business partners to to design new projects. You know for the enterprise. Uh, so we kind of foster that, and you know people get to observe that and get to learn that. But I think it's ultimately 
when you want to be sort of a higher level leader in data science, you have to generate useful work, right? Which mm. is which we call sort of internal business development. <clears throat> and I love that. And I think that's something that's so underrated is this idea of uh, actually teaching people influencing skills. You have to be quite humble to be a really skilled data scientist from a technical perspective and then be told, hey, you should come to this influencing class because it's like, hang on, I'm I'm like 30 odd years old or, or older. I don't I don't need to know how to influence people. Actually, you do. And that's 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 the that's the key issue. So a couple of questions on that. When you run this influencing skills class, firstly, what kind of skills are you teaching them? And secondly, how have you used these skills in your career, whether it's in New York life or, or elsewhere, to um, you know, to your success? Yeah, I mean, I I, I use these skills a lot. I, I I think I you know I got exposed to that probably in my in my first job. You know, my 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 first business job. I, I worked for a guy who was uh, he was in sales. He was my direct manager, and I remember I remember I was a fairly young data scientist, right? And I he gave me something to do like like early in, in this in this job, and I walked into his office. And I gave him a whole bunch of charts and tables, and I, you know, I, I put that on his desk and, and started explaining that he's like, "Man, no, this is not going to work." You know, give me like one page and give me the story. Give, give me the story. I don't want all the charts and pictures. Give me the story. He's a sales guy, right? So, so I think that was a very me. And then he taught me a lot about what does that mean? Tell me the story, right? Uh, and I started to to really, you know, get into that, and 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 not not just give people the story. But give people the story in data language, right? Not in not in you know model performance metrics and and you know and, and language that we use as, as data scientists or statisticians, but in the language of a salesperson, the language of a finance person, the language of a marketing person, right? Uh, so I think that's you know that's that's really key. What helped me a lot. Now, skills training. Uh, so we had probably. Uh, five or six workshops on this in the last two months for my entire team. Uh, people a few different things. A, we give them a methodology. Like, what does it mean to influence people? What are the tools that you have? What are the different perspectives to look at this? We gave them a bunch of methodology and it doesn't really, doesn't matter. They're all pretty good. Just pick one so that people get, you know, get some skills in that. Uh, and then we focused on, you know, like PowerPoints, but not not how to write PowerPoints, but how to tell a story with a PowerPoint, right? Fairly uh, start, how do you end? What are the different arguments that you put in? Uh, we had a special workshop around elevator pitches. Like, you know, if, if you get a minute to tell somebody what you do and what you're working on, how do you do that? You know, how, in a way, that makes them more likely to use data science, uh, right? Um, we also did stakeholder mapping. So we said, all right, anybody in the team, I don't care what level, I don't care if it's you know the person that just started support, uh, has a number of business stakeholders that they have to manage, that they have to stay in touch with. Uh, so we mapped, so we had everybody map, what is your stakeholder population? What are like the five, 10, 15, 20, 30 people that, that you want to stay in touch with? Uh, you know, what do you what do you want to achieve with them? How often do you meet them? Let's schedule these meetings. So we have basically a structure around, you know, how people communicate with business stakeholders and how they keep that community engaged. of that, you know, we don't expect the, you know, somebody fresh from school, especially from a technical book program to know that. Mm. Uh, we expect them to be curious about it and 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 you know 
and and be be learning about. Yeah. An open mind, right? And I love the idea that the way you frame the story with your uh, with your sales leader, because there were two elements to that. It was, okay, uh, not only did he want to hear the story because he wants to understand, you know, what you're bringing to him, but he he was hungry for the story. I don't want this. Here's what I want. Give me this. Give me this specific story, which I really like. And um, I'm sure we'll come back to that as well. But one element I really want to touch on is the trust piece. So as a senior leader, a, a massive company with a huge number of responsibilities, you have to ex- execute a, a certain level of trust in, in your subordinates. So when you think about that mutual relationship, how, what do you think are some of the best ways to 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 build and facilitate that? Well, my team, I think I think the key, the, you know, the key thing with, with the team, which I spend a lot of time on, is to help them build their career, right? Uh, so, so make sure that the, the, the people on my team, uh, and that starts with the junior people that just got the master's degree last week and joined us, right, uh, to my direct reports, who are obviously much more senior, it's to uh, make sure that they progress in their career and their knowledge, you know, and their experience. So, so that, that is what I focus on uh, a lot. That's probably, you know, one of my two, two or three, like, objectives in, in, in my position. So, um, so that means that means training. It means mentoring. Uh, it you know it it might mean um, you know it might mean people going into different functions for a couple of years to learn some things. Uh, that, that you know it could be that. It means giving them opportunities. It means also uh, managing everybody a little bit differently according to their personality and their confidence level. You know some people are like you know very aggressively for the moon and we might have to temper them a little bit and put them on a more realistic pass. Other people, you know, never are, are a little sh- more shy and but they are but we have to detect that they're capable of more and kind of put them in the right position to uh, to do that, you know, with the right support. So I think so worrying about people's careers is, is one important thing when it comes to the team. Another important thing for the team is really supporting them, right? Uh, so, you know, we have a lot of data scientists that are organized in different teams. We support, I mean, A, we give them direct business exposure, right? Every data scientist, irrespective of level, will talk directly to business people. We don't have any translators, any intermediaries. I don't believe in that, right? Uh, because things get lost in translation, and I've seen that happen. Uh, what we do, however, have, we have support for them. So we have, a, we have a team of project managers that organize meetings, that make sure things happen. Because, you know, a lot of data scientists are introverted, left to their own devices, they, they may not talk to so many people. So we have that help them do that, that facilitate that. Uh, and then we have machine learning operations engineers that take care of the platforms. So all the development and, and, and production platforms are there that help with model productionalizing, make sure that they have you know, the right tech and coding support behind that. You know, they, they put, built a bridge to the technology organization. We have a model governance team that builds the bridge to legal and government affairs and makes sure that, you know, that our models are, are, are well validated and then, you know, and they bring in the, the, the legal and the government affairs, mm-hmm. you know, expertise into that. Uh, so we also have um, what we call our Data Science Academy, a large data science education program, not for my team, but for the rest of the company. Uh, so anybody in the company who has some interest in data science, we have a course for 
you know, you have anything from like the get to know, watch a few videos about data science, to like the hardcore, you know, 10 core sequence that basically puts you on a data science career track, right? Uh, which, which helps when we engage in projects, maybe the people on those teams will learn a little bit of that data science. So not every data scientist has to create their own content. We have a central organization that creates content for, you know, for learning about data science, right? Uh, so, so all of those things are support for data scientists so that they can do their job well, uh, and then also you know, give them an opportunity to develop their career. And of course, the third thing is that what the stuff actually gets into production gets to be used by the business, which I think is very satisfactory. You know, if you if you worked on this great model and then you see it in production today, that's pretty cool, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. And and this kind of that's a really good organizational structure. You've answered a ton of my questions there. One thing I would ask is with the data data literacy um you know, engagement scheme. What what kind of uh, commitment do you see on that? Do you see like uh, a lot of people from the different functions coming in to do that? Do you see that they they they're interested? And in, do do you ever lose people at a stage, or do you, does does it tend to be the the academy is so refined that that people go through the end to end process? I mean, all, you're always going to get drop off in that sense. Uh, I'm just curious yeah. as kind of the success stories you've had there. I mean, it is it is it is interesting, right? Because when I started this thing, maybe maybe. Uh, Five years ago, perhaps, uh, you know, I, I, I put out the idea and say, we're going to do this thing. And people saw, people told me, ah, I don't know, you might get a handful of people to join this, right? You know, I, that's not going to be very popular. It's pretty dry stuff. Well, as soon as we were like two years in, we had three, 400 people, you know, wow. at, at any given point in time, actively. So it became one of the largest training programs in the entire company, uh, and it's widely popular, right? Uh, because it's because it's cool. People want to learn about AI. People want about learn, learn about data science. And of course, people come in and out, and, and that's fine, right? You know, people might take a course or two, and then they go away, and then they come back. You know, um, and that's all right. Uh, and there are different levels of people and different levels of engagement. So that's all pretty flexible. But then we also, in addition to the academy. We have what we call the data science community. And so we have sort of a mailing list and those you know, hundreds and hundreds of people on that. And then we put on events, right? We bring in external speakers. We bring in, you know, our own data scientists give talks. Uh, we bring in some business people to get their perspective on projects that we have done. And now, you know, I mean, lately, these have been mostly virtual. And I think for any like data science seminar that we do, we have like 300 people on the line, you know, watching this, right? So it's uh, it's a pretty big deal, and and it's you know, it, it's yeah, it's quite popular. <laughs> that, that's awesome. It sounds like you're doing some in in that sense. You're doing a lot of really interesting stuff from educating the wider organization. Uh, where what did you see your role as in the business then? Because you you work with data scientists, you work with data managers, you also work in in the data engagement. I would say for the business. So if you had to dial down your role, what what would that look like for you? On the, on the data engagement side, you mean? Exactly, uh, exactly. Do you see yourself as like a, a data champion for the business? Do you see yourself as the go-to data guy? You know, how would you contextualize that? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably a bit of all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'd say that that is true. Like when you, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one example maybe that, that illustrates that. So, I mean, in general, to answer your question, yes, I'm the data champion. I'm the analytics champion. 
whenever there's a question like that, you know, I get pulled in, whether it's a legal question around data, whether it's mm. a technical question around data, whether it's a question of what data source do we need to go to. So, so I do get pulled into to those conversations, uh, you know, quite a bit. And and I, you know, and I will be the champion of bringing in the right data, data rather than on somebody's intuition, right? So that that's always my role there, and that is, that role is thought after and it's respected. Uh, one example, I guess, which is you know, uh, still fairly current, I suppose, is. Uh, so, so think back uh, about a little over two years, like, you know, March of 2020, right? What happened in March of 2020 that was very important for life insurance? Right? So, you know, we obviously ensure mortality and, you know, mortality kind of went up a bit, uh, you know, at that time. And, and it's still actually fairly high. Um, so COVID hit and my boss walks into my office and he says, Glenn, you're going to set up a COVID uh, modeling task force. Uh, and, you know, this thing is probably going to be around a while. So we need to have a good visibility is what is COVID mortality going to look like, you know, now and going forward in the general population and our book of business. What are the what are the market implications of that? You know, you're going to go model that. Right. So so I put together a task force, with, you know, um, data scientists, data engineers, Medical doctors, you know, we had some medical doctors in that, and we had government affairs people because if you remember, lots of different state, you know, policies that were quite diverse, right? Uh, and that influenced the pandemic quite a bit. Uh, so we put together this task force, and then we looked for data, right? And then we said, okay, well, what data can we get? Well, can we get CDC data, we get New York Times data, we get uh, Google data based on geographic movement, we get, you know, so we, we tapped, you know, a handful of different major data sources and then small ones, and then, and then it became a big, a big initiative. So A, we had to figure out mortality because that directly affects our business. So we, we actually had some of probably the best COVID, uh, COVID pandemic models, uh, you know, that, that, that I know about. Obviously, we couldn't make ours public, but, you know, ours mm. were probably much better than any of the public models. Uh, because we had all this, you know, could all pull all these resources together. So, so it was relevant for, you know, mortality, which is, you know, obviously drives our business. It was also very relevant for sales because, you know, there was much less personal interaction and a lot of our sales are personal interaction. So how do we predict that? Then we, we set up a, uh, we set up a charitable fund as, as you know, right? we set up a charitable fund that would pay, that would pay money to uh, the families of, medical professionals who died from COVID. So we set up this big charitable fund. So then we had to predict, okay, what is our gonna, how much money are we gonna pay out to these people so we can maybe set up the right allowances for this fund? Mm. And how do we reach these people? How do we get to all the nurses in the country and their families and let them know that money is there for them to use? Mm. Right? Uh, data exercise. So that's just an example of you know, the corporate you know, big initiatives how myself and my team kind of got involved and, and worked. <clears throat> yeah, and, and Glenn, it sounds like you're doing a, a lot of fantastic stuff at, at New York Life, uh, both for the community and also from, from a data business perspective. I've just got a couple more questions for you. So from your experience, what do you think are some of the best ways for data leaders to gain more business influence? Well, <laughs> I guess uh, there's, there's nothing like, you know, working with business and, and doing it, right? Uh, I mean, I think, mm. I think the important thing is for, for data scientists 
at all levels, even junior data scientists, put yourself in a position that you have to talk to business people a lot, right? Uh, and, you know, that might feel a little uncomfortable at first, uh, but, but, you know, with, with sort of the, uh, with the practice of it and the, uh, the experience of it, you know, and the focus on it, you know, you'll get better at it and you, you'll, you'll gain knowledge. Uh, so be in a position where you can do that, you know, which means, you know, joining an organization that allows you to do that and, and, then, and then seeking out that, that, that opportunity. Uh, but then also, you know, be curious, right? So a lot of people say, oh, I need to, I need to keep and, and data science tools. And that's true, right? I'm not denying that. That is important. But you also need to keep up with, you know, what's going on in, in the various business organizations and, uh, and what they worry about every day. Uh, that's mm. equally important. And final question then, what career advice would you give for up-and-coming data scientists? Well, I mean, I would say, uh, you know, if if you're depending on the level, right? If if you're very junior, focus on your technical skills and start building your business skills, uh, and you know, put yourself. I mean, for actually far levels, put yourself into an organization, into a group where you can learn, right? Uh, where those people that are worried about your career, where those people that will help you, that will, people that can teach you on a technical level, but it can also teach you on an organizational level and on a business level on how to be a more effective, you know, a technical person, a more effective data scientist or data engineer or MLOps engineer. Uh, so seek that out. Uh, I think that that is, you know, that is very important. And then from like a mid-level to a senior level on, you probably have to specialize a bit, right? So uh, when you're very junior, you can jump around industries a little bit and that's okay. When you get mm -hmm. to mid-level or more senior, you probably want to have an industry focus because what you do in insurance does not translate all that well to consumer packaged goods, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 you know, it just doesn't. I mean, the purely algorithmic side does, but then your business knowledge becomes more important. And, uh, you can't be knowledgeable in all industries. That's not really uh, realistic. <laughs> mm. Well, Glenn, fantastic advice. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. And, and we've got a lot of really great insights. And I'm sure we'll be in touch again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.